Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, and I'm going to be interviewing him about his show. John, how you doing? Okay, how are you? Doing good. Yeah, I appreciate you coming. So, That's great to a strange you. name. Why Bitcoins and Gravy? Is it like Bitcoin or Bitcoins or where did the name come from? Yeah, it is a funny name. Well, um, go back almost three years and Lid Shaw, who was uh, my podcast partner at the time, well, he he's the... Uh, actually the owner of uh, the Toy Box Studio here in Nashville, we decided to enter a contest, which was the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast contest. They were looking for new podcasts. So really just at the last minute, we thought of Bitcoins. What can we be? Bitcoin news, Bitcoin. We wanted to think of something fun and also music-related, Nashville-related. And uh, he had a song on one of his albums called Gravy. So we just said, hey, how about instead of biscuits and gravy, Bitcoins and gravy? So the name, uh, the name's been around for three years, and uh, I think one thing that I do that's different from other podcasts is I am serious. I do have serious interviews, of course. I've interviewed Patrick Byrne, the CEO of Overstock.com, and Andreas Antonopoulos, and lots of other people that are noteworthy. But I also entertain, and primarily entertainer. I've written seven different Bitcoin songs and three different parodies, and I'm working on an eighth Bitcoin song right now. So. Uh, you know, it goes well with the with the style of my show. I like to joke around, but I also like to get serious and get down to business when uh, you know when it calls. Me. Yeah, why not? You know, why why be uh, serious? hundred percent on the time. Have fun with it. You know, Absolutely. and it's cool that you do, you've done music. I guess Bitcoin music we can call the genre. Um, you know, whenever I noticed with um, with my kids, you know, whenever we watch a show. And there's characters on the show. After a while, if I see those characters later on, you know, in a cereal box or somewhere, I, I feel like I'm seeing my friends. It's weird. It, it just gives me like a comfort to see them. And you, you know, it's just a strange feeling. You'd like to see them. And I, I feel the same way when I see, you know, people showing Bitcoin on a sign or somewhere. I see it in an unexpected place. It just, I feel like I'm seeing a friend. It makes me feel good, you know? The music just seems to add to that. I think so. And you know what Andreas Antonopoulos said years ago, he said, just like any community or any group, the Bitcoin community really needs to make sure it also has, in addition to tech and finance and all the serious stuff, um, everything that a, a normal, you know, healthy community or culture has, and that is music and art and entertainment. So I really, I really respect his opinion, and I really took that to heart, and 
I think he's been a, a great inspiration for me in adding something to the Bitcoin community that without the, I think, humor and without the music, um, it would otherwise be in some ways a dry place. Not a boring place, but, you know, just, just a little bit dry in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. That makes makes a lot of sense. I've I've talked to Andreas before, and he always seems to have uh, interesting and unusual ways to put things that make sense. It just gets to the heart of the matter, or you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, tell me about the show. You've been doing it for at least three years. How many guests have you talked to, and uh, maybe bring up some of the more notable ones that were just interesting to you, or you had uh, unusual conversations. You know, maybe tell me a few snippets. For sure. Um, yeah, gosh, let's see. Going back almost three years, I guess Lidge and I used to, Lidge Shaw and I used to interview two guests per show, and we did that for, I think, about 35 shows. And then I've done, uh, I carried on with that for a while and then just went to one interview per show. Um, so I've probably interviewed at least uh, 120, maybe 150 different individuals. And, you know, I think one of my favorite ones was with Shooter Jennings. He's the son of the famous country music star Waylon Jennings, and we just had a good time. I played a little bit of his music on the show, and, uh, you know, it was interesting because he was at that time, I don't know if he's still doing it, um, offering one of his songs for sale off of one of his albums for Bitcoin. So he was getting into Bitcoin. He's in Los Angeles, and um, so I think that was, for me, that was one of the memorable ones, but probably the most memorable interview I had was with Patrick Byrne, and at the beginning of that interview, he and I learned that we're born a year apart and that we're both from Indiana. We're both Hoosiers. And that was a, a thrill for me. Um, you know, I, I, thought of, I thought about it. Wow, we're almost the same age. And look at this guy. He's a multimillionaire and I'm a podcast host over here. But, you know, I really enjoyed speaking with him because I like his take on, um, I like his take on what's going on in the world. He and I do not agree politically, uh, maybe exactly in every single way, but I really love what he says about what's going on in the U.S. in terms of banking, in terms of Wall Street, in terms of uh, regulators, in terms of regulators being captured. And he has a, actually has a website called Deep Capture. He's hired a group of researchers to find out what actually happens when our regulatory bodies that are supposed to be regulating for us are paid to regulate for us, when they get captured by the very industries that they're supposed to be uh, regulating, and that's very common, and there's a lot of information about that. And I also love his uh, his take on Wall Street. He's the most hated man on Wall Street, which uh, which has been broadcast pretty widely. But that's because he's brought up that what organized crime um, groups and individuals have operated and been um, arrested and incarcerated that have come from Wall Street. So that was for me. That was a real thrilling interview, and I always I often point people to that to say. You want to find out what's going on Wall Street? Listen to Patrick Byrne. He's actually done a ton of research, and he's a credible resource. He's also a brilliant man. So, yeah, those are two two uh, podcasts that uh, guests that really really stick out in my mind. Very interesting. Well, um, you've been at this long enough. Have you seen an evolution in the types of guests and the way they talk and what they're talking about? You know, what kind of changes have you seen over the over the few years? Yeah, I think so. I think the initial interviews and also the community, uh, there was definitely a sense of, wow, we're involved in something that is disruptive and crazy. And, you know, there were crypto anarchists at the time in our Bitcoin, uh, I shouldn't laugh, but in our Bitcoin meetup group here in Nashville. And there were people who were you know, very, very strong libertarians. 
Um, and I'm, I'm myself pretty much apolitical, but as far as interviews, yeah, there were guys who were uh, house painters that were just, they just heard about Bitcoin and they wanted to start offering their services in exchange for Bitcoin. There were guys that were trying to figure out how to get into mining. And I myself briefly was mining Litecoins and there was all this feeling of experimentation with something that was mysterious and cool. And also, you know, there was a dark element to it because of the Silk Road and because of what, you know, what could be done with it, the dark things that could be done with it. But mostly, I think, really, it was just um, tech guys and libertarians thinking, hey, we can disrupt these systems that have proven to not work really well for the majority of people, these hierarchical structures that aren't really working that well for everybody. This new technology might actually be something that actually helps free people, that helps, you know, poor people send money back to their home country for remit in terms of remittances and things like that. So, yeah, I feel like the early days were definitely people experimenting and wondering. And I think it moved very quickly from that into um, through the through the tech, you know, involved in tech throughout the whole thing, but moved very quickly through that into finance, where it got into, you know, now we have venture capitalists and ICOs and all of that, and it's getting a little bit, um, you know, too much, in my opinion, too much like the legacy systems that we're, we were hoping to disrupt at the very beginning. So maybe I'm one of those old guys that likes the idea of disruption, not in the name of causing trouble or in the name of disruption, but in the name of being able to do things better, you know, being able to uh, have a bank account where you don't have to pay fees, you know, have your bank account on your phone and you carry it around with you and you have control of your money as opposed to someone else having control of your money and charging you fees. So yeah, that's that I think that's some of what I've I've experienced over the past three years. Anyway, I've been in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency since twenty eleven and I've been podcasting now for just over just under three years I think. Well, you've been in a long time. How has the price of Bitcoin and the whole evolution of the ecosystem affected you? Do you feel different about it now? Since you've been in it so long, and like you know, what what have you observed as some of the other changes over time? I think my main observation is that I'm still not a Bitcoin millionaire. But uh, yeah, it's funny, man. I bought my first Bitcoin on uh, eBay from a girl who had a good rating, and, and I bought it for thirteen dollars. And I, you know, I was a little nervous at the time. Will I even get it? Will it be sent to wow. me? And it was sent. I know it was crazy, and uh, yeah, I almost lost my shirt on Mount Gox. And uh, there were crazy things you used to be able to do through. Mount Gox, where you'd go to Walmart and you'd take a coat, you'd pay some money and get a coat and bring it back and put it into this one site and you'd get another code from there and it, that would allow you to get Bitcoin on Mount Gox. It was it was nuts, but um, yeah, I I feel like the I feel like the one thing that stayed the same is that you know back in the day when Bitcoin was low and I told myself, hey, you gotta buy a ton of it right now, and I didn't. Um, people used to freak out when, you know, the price of Bitcoin would go from $30 and it would crash down to $20 and everybody would do the same thing they do today. You know, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a bubble. It's tulips. It's a, a multi-level marketing scheme. You know, the whole, all of the things we hear today still, you know, think about that. Then, you know, Bitcoin gets to 300 or so dollars and it crashes down to 250 and people say the same thing. <laughs> you know, we just keep seeing this happening and, you know, then Jamie Dimon coming out and saying, recently and saying, you know, it's it's a fraud. You know, it's, it's hilarious. You know, people who know Jamie Dimon know he's a very intelligent guy. He's a very intelligent guy, a very intelligent banker, right? So we know that he doesn't think Bitcoin's a fraud. 
you know, we know that he understands it. We know that the likelihood that he's invested in it is very high. And, you know, so we know that he's saying that for his own purposes and because he, he hangs with some folks that like to hear him say that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that, uh, I think the price thing is, is, it's funny, really. It's, it, it makes me laugh when I see the Bitcoin price crash from 5,000 down to 3,500 and people are panicking and freaking out in one way or another. And the whole time I'm just thinking, you know, really, it doesn't really matter what the price of Bitcoin is unless, you know, you have everything invested in it. You're just hoping that this is going to be your future. And if it fails, your future means nothing. And if it succeeds, you're going to be able to buy that, you know, that estate in Maui. Right, you know, or be able to buy a house and you've never bought a house before. It really, I tell people, it's not about Bitcoin, the currency, Bitcoin, the app, the first app that sits on top of the base level protocol. What it's about is this amazing technology called blockchain technology. And I tell people that over and over, more and more. And when I get in debates with people where they say, oh, Bitcoin's garbage, I ask them, first thing, tell me, what is Bitcoin? And they almost always say, well, it's this internet currency. And I say, no, you're wrong. Actually, it's a base level protocol. It's the blockchain and the first app that sits on top of that is called Bitcoin, the currency. So defining Bitcoin, the blockchain, as Bitcoin, the currency, is, makes, as, makes as much sense as trying to define the Internet as Twitter. Twitter is part of the Internet, but Twitter is not. Bitcoin, the currency, is part of the protocol, but it's only part of it. It's not the blockchain. It's not the underlying base level protocol. So. Yeah, those are some of the changes in, that I've seen and some of the things that have stayed the same, too. Well, it's a really interesting perspective. I like that. Um, any insights you have into Satoshi Nagamoto as you were around, you know, quite a long time ago? Have you, you know, has anyone you know of tried to, um, for instance, approach Hal Finney's widow, widow and talk to her about, you know, Hal's experience or any insights there? You know, I, there's a part of me that thinks that Hal Finney could be Satoshi Nakamoto himself. I think that's possible. Um, I think it's as possible as anything else, and more, maybe more likely than some other things. There's one guy in the Bitcoin world who's been around, you know, pretty much since the beginning, whose name I will not mention, who <laughs> I heard him speak at a conference way back. It was actually the Texas Bitcoin conference. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Um, sorry, it was before that. So probably around 2011, I guess, probably probably around the time that I got into it, I heard him speak at a conference. And the way he spoke and what he said and little things that he, almost hints that he dropped, I thought, this guy's Satoshi Nakamoto. And I've never told anybody that guy's name or shared that with anybody. But So that's a second person that I thought could be Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, I think we'll probably never know, is my guess. And, of course, we don't need to know. But uh, I can tell you one thing I know for a fact, and that's Craig Wright is definitely – not Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, he may be, um, he, I mean, he can call himself that. You know, if I were him, I would just go ahead and change my name to Satoshi Nakamoto. But no, it, it, the, the real Satoshi Nakamoto has made it pretty clear by everything that he, she, it, they, whatever, has written and done that they have no interest in being known as Satoshi Nakamoto. So when Craig Wright came out and said that, he really, he really just added to the basket of things that people have been putting in there that make him look more and more like a fool. So, yeah, I don't think it matters. Of course, we've all, all heard that it doesn't matter who Satoshi Nakamoto is, but um, that's you know the beginning of one of my songs, Ode to Satoshi is, well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's the name I love to say, and we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day when he gave to us, uh, I can't even remember how the rest of it goes, uh, but yeah, you know, 
Satoshi Nakamoto, I love the fact that it's anonymous, that it stands for something that we can all get behind and, and sort of a, I don't know, an old an old fashioned sort of stand behind the man sort of sort of way. And that's you know, we've we've seen that in political movements and other movements since the beginning of time. It's good to have somebody that is there and if they're if they're a mystery, that's I think that's even more powerful in certain ways. Yeah, I think all great stories have a, a mystery at the heart of them, so it makes Bitcoin even more fascinating, you know. Um, yeah. I guess the last, last question about Satoshi, do you think it's important uh, for people to ever find out who it is or it's, uh, it's just fine that, that that person remains a mystery? I mean, any other insights okay. into uh, the importance of him? Okay, damn it. I'll admit it. I am Satoshi. I know that's what you're trying to get at because that, that's the theory a lot of people <laughs> have. No, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's important at all. I really don't. I mean, I I think it's really important that um, the concept of Satoshi Nakamoto, that the idea of this anonymous person stays anonymous. I think it's really important that Satoshi stays anonymous. But other than that, you know, I just think it's <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I mean, it really is the guy. Uh, you know, some people believe from his writing that he's most he was most likely British. There's some hints there that he was probably British. Probably not Japanese, uh, but you know I think it's hilarious that the person chose Satoshi Nakamoto for a Western uh, ear. It sounds very sing-song and very comical. If you're Japanese, Satoshi Nakamoto is a name that sounds like David Myers or whatever. But you know, for us in the West, it sounds very um, elegant and also sing-song and sort of mysterious. Satoshi Nakamoto. You know, there's something there's something really hilarious about it, in my opinion. So I think that. Whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is, I think certainly this individual not only had the right idea about what we need moving forward, but I think they also had a sense of humor. Are you surprised that the person, you know, has a worth, you know, or controls essentially, you know, $4 billion in Bitcoin or whatever it is, and, you know, has never touched it? What's your thought about that? Yeah, I've thought about it. It's been discussed widely, of course, but, uh, you know, it may be that, um, <laughs> it may be that it's locked, right? You know, so if that person is the only person that had the private keys and they passed away and didn't leave any hint or any, you know, map or, you know, any information for anybody else, a loved one or something that's unlocked in some way later on down the road and distributed in some way, um, it's, it's there locked in that wallet, uh, in that wallet forever. So, you know, it may just be locked there forever. There's really no way to know that. That would be great if it was, um, it also, yeah, it also potentially gives uh, a living Satoshi, if there is a Satoshi, a great deal of power moving forward in terms of the market uh, and in terms of, you know, some other things that may be more significant down the road if Bitcoin becomes, just imagine it becomes the reserve currency of the world. I don't think it's going to, but imagine if it did. Um, that person could wield a great deal of power. What if that person is actually a government? We don't know that. You know, we're not aware of it. So there are those you know, mysterious things there that could be more than just mysterious, could be significant in terms of, you know, geopolitical um, events and you know, certainly in terms of uh, the market. And, you know, talk about a whale. <laughs> that's a real that's a real whale there, right? But I like to think that, in my imaginings, I like to think that Satoshi Nakamoto is a good person, uh, whether living or deceased, is a good person who would not, do nefarious things with that power because that is power. I like to I like to think either that or um, it 
got locked when Hal Finney passed away, and and he decided that that's that that's where it would serve its best purpose. It's just locked up like that, and and hanging over, you know, the world with the mystery of hey, you don't know this person might have this power. So that that to me would be a power in itself that he could go to the grave with that taking that power with him. You know, just the threat that hey, if Satoshi's alive, he could do something with this to make to move markets and to move governments and to move you know, social political movements. So I don't know, man. <laughs> it's pretty intriguing, really. Well, very cool. Um, so you know, last question for now. We're we're clocks running down, but uh, you say you don't think Bitcoin is going to become a, a reserve currency. You know, now there's a thousand other crypto tokens out there. What do you think the role of Bitcoin may be going forward in the next few years? That's a good question. I mean, I think I think first we have to look at the role of blockchain. I think blockchain is going to the Bitcoin blockchain is going to be around for as long as we have electricity. That's my opinion. Um, and that means that as far as blockchains go, it's going to be the granddaddy of blockchains. Does that mean that other private and, and uh, permissioned blockchains won't emerge and have power? No, they are emerging and they will have power. And also other pub- public blockchains will have power. You know, look at Ripple and Ethereum and many others. Not that, not that Ripple is anything like Ethereum, obviously, or Bitcoin. But I, so I think that first we need to look at the blockchain and see what power that public ledger, you know, that global consensus ledger is going to have moving forward power to do good things and, you know, possibly do bad things. If everybody, everybody's movement and every single penny that you own can be traced and right back to your wallet or your key pair that's assigned to you and the IRS uses that to know exactly what you're worth at every second of every day, that could be bad. But, you know, so I think the blockchain is going to have amazing use cases, uh, as we're seeing amazing things stacked on top of it. And I think we're going to see some of those amazing things be not so great for humanity. It's going to be the age-old battle of you taking uh, taking a really good tool and using it for good and using it for bad. As far as Bitcoin, the currency, um, yeah, I think that it already is the reserve currency in the cryptocurrency world. You know, how do you get... Uh, how do you buy Ripple on GitHub.net? Well, get some Bitcoin over there, and then you can buy some Ripple, some XRP. You know, and that's very common that people get the Bitcoin over to an exchange. It allows them to buy some Doge or some Zcash or whatever they want. But as far as the reserve currency of the world, I think it's way too soon to know anything about what's you know going to happen in our world. We do have definitely troubling times right now financially in many parts of the world. Um, it's not widely broadcast on the news in the United States that, uh, you know, many countries are in dire straits uh, financially. It's also not broadcast on the news that we are ourselves um, playing a very risky game, the same game we were playing, you know, prior to the to the run-up to 2008-2009, the crash. We're playing the same risky game. We've only – the only thing we do is we've got a little bit riskier about how we play the game and um, allowing people to do short – to short the market in certain ways that, um, you know, if, then if they can control the market, they can also make a huge profit when the market crashes. So, yeah, I think we're, I think we're seeing a difficult time in the world. We're going to see more difficult times, certainly. We're going to see another crash. When's that coming? I don't know, a year from now, 10 years from now? 10 years from now? It depends on how, how far down the road the can can be kicked, as they say, right? But as far as Bitcoin... Man, I, like I said, I think Bitcoin is going to be around the currency for as long as the uh, obviously the blockchain is around, and I think Bitcoin, the currency, is going to you know I 
think it's going to continue to be strong, and I think that people underestimate uh, its power in terms of store of value. You know, will it be used for everyday transactions from getting your hair cut to buying a coffee to getting gasoline? It's hard to say. I don't know. I think other ones will emerge that do better than Bitcoin. But as far as a store of value, it may end up being the best store of value we've ever seen in the history of the world. And all we can do is just hope that the electricity doesn't go off. You know, even then, we'd still have Bitcoin. Well, very good. Well, John, you know, we're out of time, but thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was great being here, man. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to continue to check out Future Tech Podcast and to, and to enjoy your show. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a million, man. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.